My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to be with us this morning. I see several folks have already logged on, so welcome to you guys. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 9 this morning. Mark chapter 9. And if you want to head over to OurSundaySchool.com and grab a copy of today's handout, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Mine's already marked up quite a bit. And uh, you'll also need a copy of uh, Mark's Gospel. So if you've got one of the ESV Scripture Journals, I would encourage you to uh, engage with that this morning. So we'll start with our question that we begin with each morning. Um, What is God doing in you through the portion of Mark we have studied so far? And I feel like I'm going to have to change the word portion soon because it's a substantial portion that we've made our way through so far. But uh, what is God doing in you through the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? So is there some reason to uh, be thankful to God? Is there some sin that has been uncovered? Is there some attribute of Christ that is new or different uh, to you that he is seen as uh, more worthy and more worshipful and more beautiful? Is there some component uh, of uh, our lives that is not in alignment with uh, God's Word that we need to correct? Uh, And then is there just something that we have seen that has, uh, again, blown our minds about uh, who God is and what He has done? So I would encourage you to to think through this question on a regular basis. I think it's a helpful question. Uh, It's one that's challenged me on a regular basis, and uh, I hope it challenged you as well. So let's greet some folks this morning. So we've got... uh, Room 206 is representing. Fantastic. Thank you, Jessica. So we've got the, the Millers, the the uh, Ayers, and uh, Day Click. Good morning, guys. And then my friends in North Carolina, the Greggs. Hey, good morning. Uh, the Barbers are ready to go. My mom is here waving at me this morning. Barry Cole is here. And good afternoon to Vicki. Um, Cheryl is here. Good morning. And uh, the Jonikas are here. Fantastic. And the Archers. Wonderful. Well, good, good, good. So as I said, we're in uh, Mark chapter 9. So I'm going to read the entirety of Mark chapter 9, and we will, Lord willing, in a few minutes start with Mark 9, 38, uh, and go through this entire section. It's a short handout today, just four pages. Uh, and uh, so if you've had a chance to head over to OurSundaySchool.com and grab that handout, I would uh, encourage you to do that. There are several things that, that without a handout in front of you might be a little tricky to follow this morning. So just heads up on that. So I'm going to read all of uh, Mark chapter 9, and then we will talk about the text. Mark 9. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. For they were terrified, and a cloud overshadowed them, 
And a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said from childhood, And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciple asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, 
Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That might be the reading that I keep. I think I got all the words that time. <laughs> we'll see. So good morning to some new folks. We've got uh, the Arnolds, the Landers, the Johnsons, the other set of Arnolds. I won't tell you which is my favorite. Uh, Nancy Miller from Oak Ridge. Hey, Miss Miller. And uh, then the McGarvey's. So good morning, guys. It's a full house today. I'm curious to see what next week's attendance will be like. So next week is uh, November the 1st, which by decree from Congress is when we uh, change our clocks. It's also the day after Halloween, which in my mind is the perfect storm for low attendance Sunday. So I would encourage you to go ahead and make plans now to be well rested and ready at 9.07 no matter what that looks like outside next Sunday morning uh, so that we can study the scriptures uh, as together as we can be in this time of COVID-19. So if you got your handout, we're on page 302. Um, I did some reformatting. That's why we skipped a page between last week's handout and this week's page. Uh, so the literary or structural observations at the top of the page there, um, are there any of these? I, I, would, I would argue that Jesus teaches his disciples more about us versus them and I'm going to talk about this layered way, <clears throat> excuse me, this layered way in which Jesus does this. Uh, and then he makes a startling statement while doing it. Uh, one that he hasn't actually made in uh, Mark's gospel yet. And it's easy to miss because he, he sneaks it in, so to speak, because he's talking about something else while talking about something else, while communicating to his disciples about something that is rather complex. So there's a lot going on in Jesus' uh, response uh, today. So let's start with verse 38. So verse 38 says, uh, John. <clears throat> so pause, right? So who is John? Uh, this is not John the Baptist, right? Because John the Baptist uh, exited stage left in uh, chapter 6. Uh, Julie is telling me that was an inappropriate um, uh, hand gesture. So maybe it was, I don't know. But uh, we know where John is today. So this is uh, the Apostle John. Uh, this is uh, the, who we believe wrote uh, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Uh, we believe this is who wrote uh, Revelation. Uh, he and his brother uh, are called the Sons of Thunder by Jesus. Uh, in his gospel, he, is descri he describes himself uh, as the disciple that Jesus loved. And he lived to be a very, very old man, according to first century standards. I mean, he was in, in all likelihood, he was in his 90s, uh, which would have just been almost unheard of at that time. You just didn't have a lifespan that long. 
uh, sanitary conditions and health conditions. It just, it just didn't really engender a life that would live that long. Uh, so this is one of the sons of thunder who is uh, early in his in Jesus' ministry is a bit uh, brash and boastful and kind of jumps in and wants to do something um, aggressive. So so Peter was quick and uh, talked a lot, and John was a, a bit aggressive. And the thing that I love about watching how the disciples transform under the uh, power of the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ throughout the narrative of the New Testament is we see this massive difference in what they value and what they focus on and what they talk about. And we see the process of sanctification at work in their lives. And it's, it's really a beautiful thing. So I, I would encourage you to, uh, to read verse 38 and then go read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation and see how John has grown in that process. Uh, he's a radically different human being, I, I would argue, because he has been a Christian and dwelled by the Holy Spirit and has a uh, ability to, under the authority of God, to change, to be more like Christ. So this is John said, and this is the imperfect tense, so he's repeatedly asking this question, said, or making this statement, uh, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons. And this, is, this casting out is ekbalo. This is the normal word for casting out demons that we see in Mark. I don't, I don't know where else in your life you're going to hear. This is the normal word for casting out demons, but this is the normal word for casting out demons. However, here it is a present active participle, which implies that this person, uh, this exorcist, which is what we would call a person who casts out demons, uh, this exorcist uh, had a habit of doing this. So this was not just a met one person with a demon and cast it out. This was a habitual process that this person underwent. Now, the word exorcist doesn't show up in the ESV, just not a word that we would really associate with uh, the scripture. Uh, it's a word that we would associate with uh, really bad horror movies, right? Um, so we've got this exorcist and he's casting out demons. Uh, and then the, the next three words are really important. So I want to make sure we focus on those. It says, in your name. So, in su namas. So this is uh, in your name. So this Jesus, he's casting out demons in your name. And I, I want to put my 21st century hat on and make a joke about, do you realize he's selling this without a franchise license? Like he doesn't have an agreement with you to do this because this is what you're known for. And he's doing this thing. And like, are you aware of this? Like, this is really a big deal. So he's casting out demons in your name. Uh, and then there's a footnote there. Uh, the footnote, some manuscripts add, and who does not follow us. And I, I would argue that he, He's going to get to that in just a second in the text. Um, <clears throat> and we tried to stop, and this is an imperfect again. So this is repeatedly. So they saw him repeatedly casting out demons, and they repeatedly tried to stop him. And this word for stop uh, is the word for forbid. Uh, it's used twice here in Mark chapter 9, and then once again in Mark chapter 10 and verse 14, when Jesus talks about forbid not the little children to come to me. Uh, and, and we all kind of have this really clear, I don't know if we all have it, but I think most folks, when they read that particular narrative, see that you've got little kids coming up. People were physically trying to stop them from coming to Jesus. And Jesus says, don't stop them, right? So this is a, a really well-translated word. Uh, we, we repeatedly tried to stop him because he was not following us. So I want to talk about this word following for just a second. So look at the 
Look at the definition here. So this is an imperfect as well. So this is repeatedly. He's not repeatedly. It says to be in the same way with or to accompany, to accompany as a disciple. Um, some other definitions here that I got from other uh, resources talked about it's walking along the same path, heading in the same direction, if you will. Um, and John was quite aggravated here, it appears, that, that this guy was doing something that Jesus was known for, that just earlier in the chapter, the disciples themselves were not able to do, right? So the, the Gospels are littered with the failures of the disciples. So he was not following us. Now, you, you can read more into the text here than, than I think is really there. So I've, I've heard people talk about John was angry that this guy wasn't following John and the other disciples. And I, I don't know that I, I don't know that the text actually supports that understanding. The, the word for following doesn't imply following me. It's following us, doing what we're doing, going along the same way. And what they were doing was going along the same way as Jesus. So this is not a, I, I don't believe this is a case of, like John wanted, uh, the Apostle John wanted his own disciples like John the Baptist had. This is, I believe, the case of, he's not following Jesus. Like, hey, hey, I'm, I'm telling on him here. What's, what's going on with this, right? So verse 39, but Jesus said, always ready with wisdom, uh, do not stop him. And this stop is a present active imperative. So he says, do not keep on stopping him, right? I'm, I'm giving a command to you to be repeatedly obeyed. So when you see him do this, don't stop him. And the next time you see him do it, don't stop him. And the next time you see him do it, don't stop it. This isn't a, like, give him one more chance. No, no, no. This is a, this is a command to be obeyed repeatedly until it is rescinded. And, oh, by the way, it's not rescinded. So he says, do not stop him. For, now, the, the fours here are important in this text because Jesus is going to, so he's, he's, he's answering a question, and he's then going to tell them why he's answering this, and then he's going to dig in one more layer. So there's actually layers of responses that Jesus is doing to get back to what uh, John is asking. For, so there's an ex explanation here, no one who does a mighty work, this is the, the Greek word dunamis, is the noun version. This is, just means a miracle, right? Uh, when it's a verb, it, it tends to talk about the ability to do something. When it's a noun, it's just generally translated a miracle. So nobody who does a, a, a miracle. And then I want you to look at the words here for just a second. So this does not say in Greek, in my name. It says, epi, my name. And epi, if you remember the preposition circle, epi was on top or upon or on. It's really nobody who does a mighty work on my name. And you might be thinking, that sounds weird. A little bit, <laughs> right? So it's, it's not the exact same as in my name. It's on my name or upon my name. It's kind of a, I'm using this name. I'm not operating from inside this name. So nobody who does a mighty work upon my name, which implies that Jesus' name is different and it's powerful. There's something going on here that's not typical for the normal name. Nobody who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward... Uh, Interesting tidbit here. This is uh, not Mark's favorite word for 
uh, immediately, right? This is a different word. We'll be able soon afterward to speak evil or to revile. This is to, to talk down about, if you will, uh, to talk down about me. And I, I can imagine at this point, the disciples are confused and frustrated and maybe a little bit angry. And John might have been embarrassed because we've had several instances in Mark chapter 9 already where they said they were, they were scared to ask a question. They were afraid. They didn't, they didn't understand. And here, John asks a question and he gets told, no, you were doing the wrong thing. So if you've got an instance in which you're learning something from somebody and you're not really sure about asking a question and you finally get up the nerve to ask the question and then you find out that what you were doing was wrong, how do you feel about asking more questions? Probably not very good, right? So Jesus keeps on going because his intent is not to shut the disciples down. They need to engage. Like we, One of the inter interesting things about the disciples is that we see the more engagement with Christ, the more truth from Christ. So when they shut down, Jesus doesn't necessarily expound the deeper truths. He just tells them about what's going to happen uh, and why it's going to happen. He's, he's not answering those questions that they have. So asking questions is a really, really good thing, even, and I would argue, especially when we're finding out we're doing it wrong. See, somebody pointing out an error to us should make us go, yay, this is really good. Now I can stop doing it wrong. I can start doing it rightly, especially as it relates to righteousness and unrighteousness. When somebody points out a sin in our lives, whether that be a friend, a coworker, a church member, the Holy Spirit, we should rejoice as a, oh, this is really good. I can stop sinning in this fashion. This is really good news. So John's right response here should have been, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for telling us this is, this is how we can rightly do things. So he says, uh, nobody who... Uh, does a miracle or mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me for, so this is the second level, he's digging down deeper. This is the reason for the reason for the answer. For the one who is not against us, and we'll talk about this word against, is for us. All right, so let's talk about the word against and for. The word against uh, literally means down. It's uh, another preposition. So it's the, the one who is not down, you can think about it as on down on us, who's not pushing us down, who is not, um, who does not view us as low, is actually for. He's Hooper. He's, he's above. He's 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 with us. This is the idea of this is a the down is a negative. The up is a positive. In um, this was something I didn't understand when I was a little boy, and I I would ask my parents these really weird questions around you know why is why is down bad and up good. Right? It seems odd. And I, I would argue that it was the case when Jesus was walking the earth. Right, Down was viewed as something that was against somebody, and up was viewed as somebody that was for someone. The other time this word is used, this word for, in uh, Mark's gospel is uh, 1424. I'll show you that real quick. While I'm flipping over there... Uh, Hey, Albert woke up. Awesome. Good morning, Albert. And uh, Julie just gave me a look. I, she said I should apologize for that. So, sorry, Albert. Um, 
they're actually sitting like over there, but her facial expressions are so visible that I can see her out of the periphery of my eye. It's wonderful. So, hey, the Martins are here. Fantastic. Uh, Barry laughed at something five minutes ago. And the Ekbalo magazine is the official publication of To Every Tribe. I'm not familiar with that organization, Sean. Tell me a little more, if you would. So Mark 14, but I love the use of the word Ekbalo. Uh, Mark 14, 24. Uh, so this is uh, when Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. Um, verse 22, they're eating. He took the bread after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. Take this as my body. Take this is my body, and he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. Verse 24, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So this is the same word as it uses in over here in uh, Mark chapter 9, which I think is a very interesting use of the word in Mark 14. So it's poured out for, for the benefit of, but the literal definition means poured out over many. And you may have sung a song as a child uh, where Jesus' blood covers sin. You hear about uh, the blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, that would be a covering for the sin. So there's a, a lot of rich theology going on in this particular word, this word for. So whoever is not against us is for us. This is a good thing. Verse 41. Albert was here at 904. He wants to record the show. There you go. Fantastic, Albert. Well done. For, verse 41, so he's, he's digging in again. This is the third level deep here. For truly, and this is the, this is the uh, uh, I was going to say English, and I thought about Hebrew, and then I thought about Greek. It's the same word in all three. Amen. Uh, it just means firm. It means this is something that you can believe. This is trustworthy statement. For, uh, for amen, I say to you, and this is the plural you. So Jesus is talking not just to John. From this plural you, I would conclude that John's question was actually representative of all of what, or at least multiple of the disciples that they had this kind of a thought. Because John talks about we tried to stop him, right? So I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, and the the word for gives has the definition right after the word gives, and there's nothing after the word drink, but the definition of the word is actually give a drink. And this happens a lot in translating uh, from one language to another, is that you'll need to have, for our understanding, uh, so the sentence structure is not just incredibly awkward, a couple of words inside of a larger word that kind of wraps around with the, what's going on here. So you could translate it. Whoever gives uh, a drink to you, a cup of water, and you go, that's really awkward. Yeah. And this is where I say thank you to really good Bible translators who don't make uh, the Gospels sound like they were written by Yoda, right? This is good. So thank you. Uh, so whoever gives you uh, a cup of water to drink, and and here's where I want to park for just a couple of minutes, because this gets... We're going to have to talk about this. Uh, so the ESV says, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. So there's really no... There's no uh, debate about the um, will by no means lose his reward. So the no means has actually two no's in that no, which in the Greek, when you say no twice, it's, it's emphatic. It's much stronger than just saying it once. So this is what two no's in the Greek looks like, umi. 
uh, will by no means lose his reward or his payment for service. The question comes in the way that the ESV has rendered or translated this, you belong to Christ. So, so a couple of words that we're going to we're going to fix and we feel good about. So the word because is hoti. This is the well-translated word. So because is good. And then uh, Christos is there. So the word for Christ is good. So we got, we got that. My concern here is the three words that the ESV translates, you belong to. If you look at the Greek, it says in onoma, in the name which is why some of your translations, and you might have remembered reading this as a child or in a different translation, uh, because uh, you, you could read it this way, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because uh, or in the name of Christ uh, will by no means lose his reward. I, I would argue that that is a much more literal translation in the name of Christ. Um, but there is a real sense because of the word I may if you look at where Christ is on your handout at the bottom of 304, uh, one, two, three, four lines below that, we see the Greek word I may. It means to exist or to be. Many times it's just translated to be uh, or the word is. Um, so there's some element of existing in the name of Christ. So you could literally translate this. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you exist in the name of Christ will by no means lose his reward. And that's a really awkward sentence structure for us. If you exist in the name of Christ, what is that talking about? Well, if you are a child of God, then we have God is our father. Christ is our brother. Then we have a relationship with Christ. We are in Christ. Another way to say that, we are in the name of Christ. We exist in the name of Christ. Now, theologically speaking, I would argue that belonging to Christ and being in the name of Christ is the same thing, right? It means you're his. It means you are one of his. If you have his name or if you belong to him, you get all the benefits. This is really good. This is two different ways of saying the same thing. So I would argue that I think uh, that because you exist in the name of Christ is probably a closer translation to the original. But for people who don't know what in the name of Christ means theologically, the ESV translators have cut out some of the complexity of the theology and just said because you belong to Christ. So let's rewind here for just a second. So you might be asking the question, so which one of them's right? Tomato, tomato, right? Which way do you want to go? This is the difference between a very literal Bible translation and a bit more of a summary or paraphrase of something that's going on or a, an idea of what is going on. For me, I like a literal translation. I want something as close to the original as possible that doesn't sound, again, like Master Yoda said it. But at the same time, it's very helpful to have translations that do this half step of a work of getting us to what this actually means theologically for us. And I would argue that this is a real benefit to having a lot of different translations in the English language. This is a, it's a really handy thing to have. Um, I will say that the actual Greek here 
is incredibly complex. Um, I have glossed, so for those of you that actually know Greek, I don't know Greek, but for those of you that actually know it, I have glossed over a tremendous amount of complexity because I don't have a PhD in this stuff. So you're welcome. We probably could spend uh, two full Sunday school classes just talking about this phrase. I know that those books over there spent a lot of ink talking about this page. So there we go. So let, let's, let's, we, we dug down really deep on a Back out, zoom out, and see what this uh, is taught. What do we do with this, right? So for truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So what are we talking about here? What are we talking about here? Did Now, I, I told you that Jesus was going to do something and we'd miss it if we weren't careful. Did you see what he did in verse 41? What, what did he call himself in verse 41? What did he call himself? In verse 41. He called himself Christ. You're like, did he? Yeah. Oh, he did. Absolutely he did. And he hadn't done this in Mark yet. In Mark, what he's done so far is he's he's pulled back a little bit, and you're like, is there a Superman cape underneath that? Yes, I think there is. Okay. And then every once in a while, he pulls it really... But here, it's... I mean, this is amazing. This is good news. So John asks him a question. And this is one of the things I love about the disciples' questions. Again, John asks him a question. There's an exorcist doing exorcist stuff that looks a lot like what you do, and we tried to stop him. Uh, what's up with that? And Jesus gets down to resolving his answer, re resolving his question, resolving the why, and then reveals that Jesus is the Christ. If, if you want a masterclass in evangelism, watch what Jesus does with questions. Jesus does not just answer the question and leave it at that. He gets people to who he is, even his disciples, who themselves needed to, to repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ. So don't skip over these declarations that Jesus makes about himself. They are really, really important. So application. Let's do a couple of applications and a couple of personalizations. Application number one, Jesus is, and in mine I have in parentheses, and declared himself to be God. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that was coming to save his people from their sins. So Jesus is and declared himself to be God. So what do we do with that? Believe that Jesus is the Christ. <laughs> right? It's pretty straightforward. Jesus is the Christ. We're not looking for another Messiah, right? We're not looking for somebody else to come and say, oh, I've been sent from God and I'm going to show you all the way to God and I'm going to be the sack. No, 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 no. That box has been checked. That's done. That's finished, right? We're not looking for another. Uh, application point number two. Uh, rigid uniformity is not required. Rigid uniformity is not required. We, we have a tendency to believe that unless everybody does everything the way that we do it, that they're wrong. Which, if you have turned on the television or been on the internet lately, I mean, this is just, <laughs> it's, it's the belief of our generation, right? It's just really, really sad. 
Uh-huh. But Jesus is, is not telling John, he doesn't have to travel with us to be doing things like we're doing, to be on our side. He is with us because he's not against us. He's like, John, like, be here. Be over here with us, right? The, the interesting thing is that Jesus didn't tell the disciples to go find disciples. He told the disciples to be good disciples, right? This is not about finding people to follow us. This is about showing people who Jesus is and helping them to follow Jesus, Right, so what do we do with that? I would say focus on how we follow Christ, not on how others follow Christ. And we could save ourselves so much anxiety, so much pressure, so much stress, so much angst by just saying, you know, this is, this is how we follow Christ. Praise the Lord if someone else is following Christ and it looks a little different. He's doing it on the name of Christ. Jesus' name was being shared. Okay. Relax. <laughs> you know, rigid uniformity is not required. That's not what Jesus was after. All right, so a um, couple of things real quick. I want to share with you how I'm voting. <clears throat> Several of you have asked me how I'm voting. So I wore my uh, campaign T-shirt. Uh, I voted for little Sebastian. No, I didn't vote for little Sebastian. But uh, uh, if voting is your thing, go vote. If voting is not your thing, okay. I'm not throwing shade at you. I'm not guilting you. Um, I will tell you that we get to have a voice in America. I think that's pretty cool. And uh, it has nothing to do with Mark chapter 9. So just wanted to explain the t-shirt this morning, make you smile a little bit. If you don't know what Parks and Rec is, just Google it and have yourself a fantastic Sunday as you catch up on about 45% of the jokes that I tell. Uh, there's quite a few of them in there. So the bottom of page 305 is our uh, homework next week. Lord willing, we will start with uh, Mark 9, 42. In the big debate in theologians uh, around whether 42 should have gone with the section that we just covered or the next section, I'm with ESV. I think it goes with the next section much cleaner. We'll talk about that next week, though. Uh, but your homework is to pray, hear, think, talk, share, and invite. So uh, be prepared next Sunday morning to be in your place when you should. Uh, and I, I concur with uh, Dean and Sarah, who that's the guy who uh, Brian quotes all the time, that uh, Sunday morning church is a decision that is made on Saturday night. So uh, with that, that concludes our Sunday School lesson. Appreciate you being here. All the resources are at OurSundaySchool.com. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, lean in, engage, and uh, pray as a uh, with the folks that you are with. Uh, if you've got any prayer requests, put those in the comments. Uh, we would love to engage with those. Uh, pray for somebody who is not with you. And then uh, if you are able, go to a Stewart Heights campus, Facebook page, YouTube, or website later today for worship. And with that, that is the end of our Sunday School lesson today. So Lord willing, I'll see you next week. Love you guys and miss you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. 
You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.